Hi there, I'm Craig Merriman, and welcome to another episode of Focus on the Patient podcast. In this episode, our guest is Leanne Biafora of Beacon Advocates. Leanne is a 30-year oncology nurse veteran whose experiences speak for themselves. Listen in on her great insight and how her being in the cancer setting helped shape her why and purpose that she carries today for Beacon. Creating systematic change. That is the highlight for this episode. Thanks for listening. Please enjoy the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Focus on the Patient podcast, where we explore standards of excellence in healthcare, particularly focused within the cancer setting. With me today, we have Leanne Biafora from Beacon Advocates. Welcome, Leanne, and thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you. It's de- it's a delight to be here uh, to join you and and learn more about Rabble Health and talk. And you know, we're off as we we mentioned, we're all working together uh, to to find solutions to improve the cancer care experience. So uh, it's very exciting to be here. Absolutely, we're we're really really excited to feature you and and. Um, and what you're doing. So, so why don't we, um, before we actually begin, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. About me or Beacon? What, well, what why don't we start with you and, and we'll, okay. we'll, we'll expand <laughs> into Beacon. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, so I'm Leanne Biafora and I am an oncology nurse of 30 years. Um, I consider myself a quality and out of the box systems thinker. Um, you know, having worked in kind of growing up in the healthcare system in the in the 90s, uh, saw a lot of systemic issues and and realized um, if I didn't you know become part of the solution, I was just going to be really frustrated, <laughs> as yeah. most people are. Um, you know, saw pa- patients that weren't able to get you know discharge planning. You know, as a new nurse, you work in med surge and and uh, you know you, you get in, and I worked. I went right into cancer. But a lot of, uh, and I also tra- traveled. I went from Florida to Massachusetts, and I, in that process, I was able to really see that how different systems work, um, and found that it was very frustrating for the patient, but also to, for, as a nurse trying to really provide good care. Right? right, you just didn't have a lot of you had time, time constraints, um, quality constraints, and so I went back to school. Um, looked at university-based hospitals that would pay for schooling um, and chose to go to Emory University a Hospital. And I worked in the bone marrow transplant unit uh, for about two years um, and started my program in their nursing program for, for my master's in, in clinical nurse specialist in education. Um, had a family uh, issue in back up in Massachusetts. And so went back home, uh, who was a family member who was, you know, I had had needed to help her pass through her own cancer journey. And once I did that, I went back into Boston and uh, started looking at, at, you know, to complete my nursing, my master's in nursing and ended up um, in the interview. It's like, it was like yesterday, uh, the dean of the nursing said, you know, you, I think you'll be fine in nursing. I could be, you know, as far as finishing up that program, I was halfway through it. And she said, but I think you're a quality, a quality person. You really are a systems, you know, you, you systems thinker. And, and so I think you'd be better served maybe in the healthcare administration track, you know, for, mm-hmm. for um, improving quality of cancer care, you know, which is really what I, I was, I was hoping to, to do. Uh, and I was grateful for that. And at the time, I was working in the ICU bone marrow transplant, and um, heme was my specialty, um, heme malignancies. 
And then I ended up working as a case manager, discharge planner, if you will. Um, and at the time, it was a unique setting. We had inpatient, outpatient, had a lot of cases all over the world, but also all over the states. So I was able to see a lot of the issues as far as different payers, uh, different issues within the cancer journey. Um, and we had a very unique um, program, which was a it was a um, discharge planning team, but it was led by oncology social workers and then the nurses. And we would work as team team together. So we would have these interdisciplinary team meetings with families in the hospital. Um, and it and, and I found it to be a really um, even though it's only one part of someone's journey, I found it to be very effective. Yeah. And but I also had seen through that journey that how fragmented the healthcare system is, right? People coming in from the community, lacking of um, consistency in the in documentation and the approaches of, of their workup, um, inconsistencies with discharge planning. And um, let, let's just say, take for instance, um, hospice care. Well, hospice care is um, at the time in the 90s, it was much more loose. The guidelines were looser, but now it days it's it's very inconsistent um, because of the payment structure. Um, it, they went through a, a really hard time. So, um, whereas one person you would discharge into hospice, they will allow for um, IV fluids, if you will, like to hydrate. Mm-hmm. Others would not let you to do that, right? So, it, I found there's a lot of it. That's just one little minute example of, of, you know, that was, you think of anything and drugs <laughs> and differences in how the insurers, you know, approve it and supply it and how um, you have different uh, settings and what they approve. So anyway, it was a, a very good, um, a good program to, you know, a good role for me as I, it, which paralleled my my schooling nicely. Yeah. Um, and then once I finished my degree, I, and I also had the opportunity to work for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement uh, as an intern. And I learned while I was there, I learned their, you know, systems approach to, to changing quality, you know, to really impacting, um, impacting the, the quality of care through data, right. Yep. Uh, yep. And systems thinking, and that was fabulous and, and fascinating to me. And I really um, value that as, that as a highlight in my career. But then I went over to Dana-Farber and I was uh, brought on to really help uh, corral the physicians to create, uh, be on the same page as far as developing clinical guidelines, which were mm-hmm. pathways. So, you know, kind of a cookbook that if, if, if put into one particular setting, let's say, um, one of them was if someone has a reaction in a in a in a in their in the infusion room, what do you do? What are the meds you give? Right. So that's just a very simple um, example. But it was trying to get the same the physicians all on the same pages, you know, doing the the pathway yeah. um, to create more consistency um, through the organization. And that was very difficult because that was guidelines at the time was, was just not very popular and right. physicians weren't there. And just now we're starting to see uh, more um, uh, adoption of these type of approaches um, and mandated by really driven by by insurance payers. 
So, um, so fast forward, you know, I'm just giving you a little bits and tidbits. Absolutely. Highlights. Great. Uh, but then I was recruited away to start at an insurance program to uh, start a, to design and implement a cancer care management program. Mm -hmm. And it was to early detect, detect cancer, breast cancer specifically early, but also to create a, um, a early navigation program. Now this was in 2000. So this was, or 2001. So this was not, you know, this wasn't, this was kind of innovative. Wow. Um, yeah. There weren't a lot of people doing that. And it was fabulous. That's when I really got my eyes just widened because I thought, oh my gosh, look at all the data, right? Look at yeah. all the population based and how you can identify people earlier. And I, you know, up until that point, I really, I knew a little bit about it through my, my grad program, but it just, it really was able to, I was able to dig in and, and learn more about patterns and, and, and create, and because of my clinical experience. And I think that is a, a benefit um, that is, that it, it, it's different. That makes yeah. us different, right? Because we can look at the data, we can look at the people and see, and, and kind of marry that to see where to put case scenarios together. And if you don't mind, so I, I might re rephrase, yeah. like I might just kind of also add because you have the bed, like the years of experience at the bedside and because you have that systems um, knowledge and approach, you then can make, you know, not in real time, but you can make certain um, um, associations between quality measures to see if it's a true system issue versus it's a, if it's kind of a bedside piece then in a, in a quality fix on the front end. And so that's a really phenomenal kind of skill set that you, that you're able to, you know, that you've probably, you know, fortuitously have just kind of cultivated over the last, you know, number of years, because you have that, systems thinking, um, but can start to tie certain quality measures based on pathways, based on inconsistency in treatment, but also based off of, you know, certain kind of standards of care just in the, in the front end on, you know, in terms of nurse navigation, et cetera. So it's a really, mm -hmm. really just fascinating skill set that you have. Well, thank you. And there's, you know, there's such an interplay of, um, uh, so, you know, they're all the key stakeholders and that's, that's what's, you know, I got into oncology. It was interesting. I, I, I was looking back, I didn't realize I was quoted and I didn't realize it had been published, but it was my why of how I got into oncology. Yeah. And I think looking back at why I got into oncology, I had a job all set up. I worked for university of Miami down in Florida, um, in, in, in looking at crack, utero, like, uh, what was it? The effects of crack, um, crack cocaine, uh, and utero. <laughs> so I, oh, wow. I had done this research project and it, um, it was over a five-year period, but I had, um, I had already set in stone that I would, I had a job in neonatal ICU and <laughs> I entered my last rotation of oncology, uh, which was oncology and I fell in love. And it was, it was kind of a, a very interesting experience because I, I was not, you know, I was certainly not interested in oncology. But once I got in there, I found that there was a, a person, one particular person I remember distinctly, where she had multiple myeloma. She was um, laid up in bed. She hadn't been, she was in the process of diagnose, diagnostic process um, and she couldn't move out of bed. And she had, she just said, I just feel so gross. And, you know, I hadn't, she was up in her fifties and she, she just wanted her hair washed. And she just said, I'm just so, I feel so dirty. 
So I collected my nursing students, fellow nursing students, and we found a way to bathe her and clean her hair and wash her hair in while she was in bed. Anyway, this was the compassion part of me, right? That I was like, wow, I, we can make these people better in that regard. But what was really fascinating to me was the science and the interdisciplinary approach to the diagnostic process, right? And that was really what got me the drugs, the, the, the science behind it, the, the psych, the, the, the physician, medical oncologist, the radiation oncologist, surgical oncologist, the, 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 um, behavioral, you know, the, the, the social workers and the, the site, you know, all of the, all of these pieces, nutritionists. And I really found this kind of, it really, my light bulb just went off. It was really fun. Yeah. Um, and I never turned back from that point on. I just said, I, I am, you know, I'm dedicated to this, 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 um, this area of focus, yeah. this clinical focus. So it was a really kind of fun to think about that. Um, but fast forward, you know, after we, we implemented this new program, which was very, uh, very impactful. So we were going and just the, going back to the population based and the insurance, we were able to focus in and create early detection programs, trying to get, um, you know, underserved populations in particular, there was, um, Asian population in certain pockets and we were trying to get them, um, or, getting detected earlier for certain cancers and, 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 and obviously with breast cancer. And then we created this early detection where we were able to, through the data and, you know, of course, data insurance is always a a difficult situation because, you know, historically it's always like this claim lag is about two to four months. Yeah. But, um, and that's part of the problem of, of other traditional care management programs or, um, models. But anyway, um, and, I, and I'm grateful that things have changed, are starting to change. But we were able to identify them and then really get them right at the diagnostic process to really lead them and educate them so they were making imp- informed decisions. Yeah. And I just, I loved the model that we, we created um, and we implemented. And then I was, um, I got married and moved to New York uh, and worked at Memorial Sloan Kettering down there and then got recruited away to start a cancer program over at GHI, which is now Emblem Health. And there um, was even larger population. But what was interesting about that population was that was the first responders after 9-11. So this is in 2005, 2006, 2007, uh, 2006, because we were only there for a year. My husband and I uh, moved to Florida because of his position. But um, during that time, we were, I was brought on to start a cancer program because they had so much cancer. And of course, now hindsight, right? We see that right. why that was. Um, and they also, so when we brought, when they brought me on, it was not only a month or two later that there was, they were already in agreement with Emblem Health. So everything was put on hold. But um, because there was such issues, I wanted to create some, you know, I came up with some innovative um, ways to address the, the population. And one of those was working with the American Cancer Society yep. um, to create, you know, back then it was an 800 number that you would have to call. And this, would, uh, this allowed us to, the case managers that I, uh, that I led um, it would allow them to have the all of the resources that one would need, and 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 you know American Cancer Society, like they're like we were American Cancer Society. So, 
because of the large population, uh, New York and New Jersey, we were able to um, be able to, to hone in and provide real-time information to patients, wow. uh, members rather. And it was really impactful and it made me feel good. So I was only there for a year um, and then we, we moved to Florida and that's when I, I worked for a, um, a community physician who um, it was at that point that I really saw a, the real issues where, where in the people community were setting. having yeah, multiple, multiple um, doctors, multiple, you know, um, multiple specialties, no one looking at polypharmacy, no one, no one knew, knowing with the first hand and <laughs> right. it was, I just felt so badly for these people and knowing how the system is supposed to work and, you know, cancer care, it could be really seamless. And um, so I, I created a company uh, to, to really try to solve that problem. I think I was early. I know I was early, especially here in Florida. Um, and it was a concierge approach to helping guide people through whatever their issue was. And in the back of my mind, always keeping that back experience in Boston, where we was a multidisciplinary approach. Uh, and I, and I've been building that to, to get to where we are now. So we're tech enabled, um, cancer care management company that provides that real patient centric. We follow the patient, not the physician. Yep. And that's the difference. The main difference I believe is nurse navigation and, um, and it can, is wonderful. It's been really developed by my colleagues in oncology nurse navigation, and they've done a great job. But the problem is that the issue still remains. You have nurse navigation being utilized very different ways in different di different settings. They could be in insurance. They could be in um, academic. They can be in the community. And there's not one, you know, one what not very rarely do you see one that follows the patient end to end right. through their, their journey. And that's where we're trying to, we're getting there. So we are independent outside of that. So we have a better, I feel sometimes we have the better opportunity to see more longitudinal the, 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 the experience. And I'll just kind of add a few statistics for our listeners too. So about 80% of cancer patients are treated in the community setting. To your So to your point, those large academic institutions that might have that broad-based interdisciplinary approach doesn't necessarily always apply to that extent within the community setting where 80% of cancer patients are treated. And the other piece is that um, and you highlighted this a bit where you're following the actual individual patient. And that's important because last time I checked about 35% of cancer patients switch institutions and we all, uh, due to our kind of current, uh, you know, health system change, um, health plans every three to five years. And so when we're talking about continuity of care and just going back to your point earlier about quality measures, if we really want to actually start systematically improving the quality of care from a population perspective, the best way to do that is to be able to offer these services and follow the patient throughout their journey, throughout their journey. So Right. Makes, makes complete sense. So how do, how do cancer patients find out about Beacon Associates? I think you, you mentioned before when we were talking that, that you're really selling into the employer market. I would love to understand a little bit more of how that works. Sure. So we have uh, different markets. So for Beacon Advocates, we are working with individuals um, 
employer groups. And we eventually we'd have worked a little bit with smaller insurance plans. But my vision is really to see that everybody has access and has an independent nurse qualified advocate. And I think that's really important because there's a lot that the industry, I was just talking on a walk today with some other colleagues of architect and and a couple others and, and they, you know, similar things are happening. People are jumping into their fields, but they don't have the the credentials. And I think that the credentials are the, you know, it's not just the credentials, it's the, it's the, the hours of work that goes into that. And, um, I, I think that there's a lot that goes into care coordination and that's really what we're focusing on, right? Improving, making that patient-centric and, and um, that smooth, uh, co- better coordinated care because, you know, there's a 10, 10 to 1 return on investment for that, right? Because yep. there's so many issues. Um, back in 2013, you know, patients often receive poorly coordinated care because of those issues, right? The the community going into different places, changing care, um, different settings. So just think about the breast cancer experience. You have, you start, you're supposed to start out with your, your either your primary care, getting your mammogram or, um, or maybe in the hospital setting, something happens that brings you to, to become aware of of this, you go to a surgeon, then you have a medical oncologist, and then you have a radiation oncologist, right? And then sometimes you have a, a plastic surgeon. Think about all of those different handoffs. And not all of those, and they, like you said, we academic setting, there might be a little bit better coordination of that, those handoffs. But in the community setting, those aren't, those are, we have an issue. We have an issue in the States. Yeah, one of the quality measures, then since we were talking about it, and Stop me if I'm, I'm I can, no, this I can, is good. This is good stuff. I'm but, taking lots of notes. <laughs> yeah. So in quality care in Medicare, one of um, the quality measures was speaking of breast cancer was, um, what, uh, what was such an issue was one of the quality measures is, is did the patient get treated before four months? Wow. Four months. And that is so, oh. um, it's so clear when you think about what's happening in the community, right, setting, or even in the in the cancer centers, even in the designated cancer centers. I mean, it's a real issue. Yeah. And so if we had more people like Beacon, yeah. right, I'm not encouraging, but um, people yeah, use Beacon. Yeah, shameless. <laughs> like, this, honestly, if this improves quality of care, shout it, it does. out, right? So. It does, because we can go, we dive into the insurance, we understand the barriers, we overcome the barriers, we we figure out where, you know, we, we work within their insurance plan, if there's an issue or some other, you know, one of the cancer centers we're working on creating, um, you know, so we can get more access for the patients, if they can get more access, you know, meaning more insurance yeah. uh, through SS, a lot of different areas, of different ways we can help them with that. But if they have insurance that we within their benefit structure, we go to the right place, we get them informed, we expedite their care. That's the biggest thing that we do. Right. Um, is you know from I, I have multiple stories, but that's really within a week or two. We get them so they're educated with the questions to ask. They they have a good understanding of what needs to be done in the process because you can, when you're first diagnosed, you're like a deer in headlights. Right. And if you can do it in, in, a, in your own, you know, in your home, 
when you're less angst, when, you know, when you go to the doctor's office, your blood pressure rises and you don't hear anything when you're first going through this. So by the time that we get people, you know, when they're first diagnosed, we can kind of start getting them and, and understanding what they're bringing to their cancer diagnosis, because that's a big issue that people aren't addressing. Yeah. People bring with them, they have their own psych history. They have their own experience of cancer, their own psych approach to like their, the emotional capabilities, right. Right. From their past experiences with their families or friends um, or their themselves. They have, you know, the first thing that when you're diagnosed often is, am I going to live and how I'm going to afford this? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then they're thinking about all of those pieces too. And it's hard to really fully get your arms around everything so quickly. And we help, we help with that. We help kind of like, okay, we got your back. We help you, you know, we're we're here as much as or as little as you'd like, uh, but we help them guide them through. And then it's not to be an extra barrier for their physician, but it's rather to improve that experience right. to help with. So everybody is working, you know, um, the, the care is coordinated. So it's, it's more seamless, right? Yeah. It's and it, better seem, symptom control. There's less medical errors, you know, more system thinking, right? Thinking about the bigger um, aspects of, of how, how the, um, the coordination of care can really improve the and care I, experience. Absolutely. And I would just kind of offer too. So the beauty of it is that um, it's change management. And the reason why I say that is that it's change management. It's always hard to, to change, you know, the behaviors, the actions, the rhythm that, that one has, but everything around care coordination leads to improved outcomes, leads to an improved patient experience, leads to decreased waste in the system. So the economic pulleys are there to make this work. It's just the change management to start with that coordination so that it yes. is as seamless as possible for that patient for their, you know, I, I say caregivers, but I'm, I'm talking also about the, the personal family members that also contribute into this kind of ecosystem, right. Mm-hmm. And to, to actually start. So it's, it's, to me, it's also really exciting to know that the economics are there to actually make that change. It's just that at that activation energy for change management is challenging. It is hard. And yet it, it just creates this, you know, this driving force of we all want improved quality measures and this is the way to do it. Right. We're not right. going to, we're not going to get there without working together. And so, right. Uh, and, and, I, and I think the patient is, 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 is central to all of that. Absolutely. Right? Empowering yep. the patient who's at the center of decision-making shared decision-making is critical. Yes. Um, I will, I will give you one, 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 I know we have to go, go, but my own experience where um, I had breast cancer, which was very, um, you know, when you're, when you've never had a broken bone in your body and yeah. <laughs> it, it really rocks your world. And I had two five-year-olds at the time. And, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of this, it made me a better patient advocate through this journey, I feel. Um, but, but I had a situation where um, my surgeon, I had to fire my surgeon because she didn't employ shared decision-making. And it was, you know, and she even at one point said, well, there's no shortcuts here, Leanne. And I thought, you didn't tell me that as an oncology nurse of, you know, 25 years at the time, (laughs) I said, I I didn't just hear that, did I? And, 
she was really, she, and then I went for a sec. I was, had the fortune of having good insurance. Um, and I went to Boston for a second opinion and having a case review of all of the panel of the physicians and breast cancer there. And then they concurred with what I had found. You know, yeah. I did not want to have a mastectomy is what the, the situation was. And she said, well, I, I won't do it. I'm only going to do a mastectomy. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, okay, so well, seven years later, I'm still, you know, that's, you know, knock on wood. Yeah, I'm still uh, cancer free, but you know, I'm at a higher risk and that, and I think she was worried about it, but at the same time, she didn't employ shared decision-making and after a having other, and that's why I think everybody should have a second and third opinion yeah. with any type of cancer diagnosis, because, you know, we are humans and we all are biased in how we approach it, right? Some are biased because of revenue and I'm I not see. saying she was that way. But I'm just saying there are some that are biased because they want revenue. That's why they don't talk about end of life. Right. They could be, um, you know, that's not everybody, but there's, that is a, sometimes I've found that that is a, a revenue. Cancer is a big generator. That's part of the problem. Yeah. That's most of the problem is that we are a big business. Um, and so, you know, either physicians are afraid and they don't want to feel like they're giving up hope for the patients. Um, or they, there's some revenue drivers and that's a big issue. That is a huge philosophical issue we have in our country. And, um, I'm grateful that when we first talk with people, we talk about that, whether you have a stage zero stage one or stage four cancer, because it needs to be discussed. Um, and so we help, you know, bring it to, we set the table a bit about it, you know? Well, and I think you highlight too. So there's this really interesting power dynamic where you're, you know, at the point of diagnosis, there's a power shift, right? You don't know a lot of information, but you're the decision maker. And I think that oftentimes patients, you know, come to recognize over time that they are the decision maker, but that's why shared decision-making is so important because they do need the entities that follow them, that, that help coach them, that help, you know, create, um, uh, a, you know, less of a barrier around what that information flow is so that they can make informed decisions. And, um, um, absolutely fascinating. I, I, you know, obviously a huge advocate of, uh, of your model. And I think it makes complete sense. And, and, um, thank you. Thank you for sharing. I, um, I want to be sensitive to time, but you know, let me, let me ask you, um, you know, is there, is there a final call to action that you would like to, you know, like to share? We have listeners that are, you know, in industry on, and the health, you know, HCPs, but also mm-hmm. patients and, and, uh, and loved ones, right. And, and, you know, personal caregivers as well. So would love to just yeah. kind of see if there's, um, you know, any sort of closure, uh, call to action that you would like to share. Well, goodness, um, on so many, those, those are a lot of different stakeholders. <laughs> they are, right? They are. But, we're, we're, you know, um, but the but... patient, from the patient's perspective, you know, I think we give too much trust to our, um, our, our providers. And I think, you know, I think that that's good. I think while you have trust, because you de- you absolutely, um, need to have someone that you know that has your back right and 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 physicians are incredible scientists um and i think that it's important just to seek a second opinion you know trust but verify i guess that's what i've learned through the years right trust but verify and i i think because the, the what's happening in in science and technology it's all just it's it's in it's it's changing at such a rapid rate yeah. 
I mean, there's so many clinical trials that are amazing out there and so much hope for people. And I, I just, I get so frustrated when people are uh, reluctant to, um, to, to, to seek a second opinion. And, and I, that's their choice. I don't ever push anybody into it. I just, yeah. I make, make recommendations, right. Cause I really do think of us as advisors, as consultants. And so then, um, so that's the first thing from industry and, and employers, you know, I think that case management historically from a business perspective has not done been well done well. Yeah. Um, you know, I know for one large pair I work for, you know, they, they say, well, okay, well, you're diagnosed, you get an oncology nurse to help with symptom management. Well, that's really not giving you promoting the right care at the right time, right? Or the diagnosis. You need someone that you need a whole spectrum of care, that end-to-end solution. And that's what Beacon does. Yeah. We are really focused on growing our business um, through for, through technology, like Rabble Health, and we're trying to get more digitally focused so we have more access and uh, faster and smarter yep. uh, so we can provide more appropriate care for individuals. Absolutely. So Leanne, thank you so much uh, for your time today. It was such a pleasure to be able to really highlight Beacon Advocates. I think that um, the core, you know, for any cancer uh, journey is to actually be surrounded by those that can help help advocate for you and who you are. So I think um, uh, Beacon absolutely does that. We'll go ahead and include some links uh, for Beacon as advocates. And then if you're able to, we would also like to include links to your publication. So thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.